friends, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton. I'm the founder, chief evangelist for Small Business Matters. I am your host for tonight's podcast. My co-host is Taylor Fulton, the director of marketing for Small Business Matters. Taylor, hello. Hello again. Good to be here. Great to have you with us. And Taylor, I'm really excited about our, our guest uh, this evening, Ali Jamal. I've, I've gotten to know Ali over the last couple of years. He's a Vistage member. He was also a participant in a program that I co-chaired for Vistage in, in partnership with Stanford University and their, and their School of Business. And I was, mm-hmm. remember, in, in that program, really impressed as I got to know Ali and his business and really amazing uh, growth that they've experienced. So really excited to have him with us. Ali, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to, to speak with you guys today. Good. So a quick introduction. Ali Jamal is the chief executive officer of Stable Gold Hospitality. This is a real estate investment company that specializes in affordable accommodations for low and even no income individuals and families. The company was started in 2011 as uh, with just one rundown and shut down hotel and is now a thriving business, which includes approximately $50 million in assets under management, 1,500 rental units consisting of 11 independently operated extended stay hotels and single family residential housing. Company employs more than 150 people across the USA. Stable Gold has been selected as the number one most innovative urban development companies in the world by Fast Company Magazine. Ali has an executive MBA from Northeastern University, also has, as I mentioned earlier, a certificate from the Stanford Business School Executive Program uh, in Leadership. As I also mentioned, Ali is an active member in a Vistage group uh, here in Atlanta. And Taylor, he's also an author, and his book uh, was named an Amazon bestseller. We're going to find out more about that book and also more about his background. So again, uh, Allie, welcome to the show. We always start with the same question for the Small Business Matters podcast, and that question is, what is it that you do that matters to small business? Allie? That's a great question. In terms of what I do that matters to small business... You know, our our consumer really is the person looking for that affordable housing component. And so our role really is to find assets that no one else wants in the places that no one else really wants to go and and convert those to, you know, something that is going to be a viable business. And so most of the time we acquire these hotels that are empty, Um, they're they're bank-owned, uh, they're 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 in a uh, in a situation that is not, of course, viable. There's they're, they're not employing anyone, and within 24 months, we find that we can convert it to a place that's providing affordable housing, that's providing people with jobs that that weren't there before, and really giving back to the local community through da- tax dollars and 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 on and all the other kind of things that small businesses bring into an area. And I think that that, in an indirect way, will impact small businesses in our local community, because those those small businesses are are, are going to have people coming into those communities that maybe weren't spending dollars there uh, before, or that weren't living in those quote unquote neighborhoods. So, you know, in an indirect way, I think that's how we support other small businesses over and above just the individual staying with us to get that kind of affordable housing. 
Allie, tell our listeners just maybe a little bit more about yourself and, and how you got into the business that you're in today. So I'm actually originally from Vancouver, Canada. And my parents originally actually came from Uganda, uh, East Africa. My family really started with not much back in Canada. And, and uh, I remember, you know, my mom was selling Indian food door to door to people in the apartment complex that, that she, had, she was living in. So just to give you context of kind of how we started. And so my mom, even though she kind of was working minimum wage jobs and working as an administrator, I think eventually for a local government agency, she had always invested in real estate on the side. Uh, she, she was buying single family homes and condos. She would kind of like keep her living expenses as low as possible and save as much money as she could, could kind of like a gerbil, like just put everything on the side and, 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 and stack it up. And once she put together like 10 or $15,000, she would take that and buy a single family home and, you know, put a renter in there. And then she'd save another 10 or 15,000 and buy a condo. And so, you know, by the time I was 17, 18, she had, a, she had purchased, I think by that time, seven or eight properties. And, um, you know, once again, that was on a minimum wage salary. So it was really interesting to watch her do this and see that kind of entrepreneurial spirit come, come through her. When I was 17, I had this goal of purchasing this Honda Civic Si. You know, I had made a deal with my mom. I said, look, if I save 20,000 bucks over the next two years, Will you, on my 19th birthday, go and co-sign for uh, this Honda Civic Si for me? Will you co-sign on the loan? And she's like, absolutely. You know, I'd love to do that. And so here I go for the next 24 months, saving my money, saving my money, working. I was was going to college and working two or three jobs. And you know how those times are. So eventually, after 24 months, save this $20,000. So I go to my mom and I'm like, mom, it's my birthday. Let's go down to the dealership. You know, you said that you would co-sign on this loan for me for this car. Let's get going. And so she looks at me for a couple seconds and she's like, son, you must be one of the dumbest people I've ever met. Because if you think I'm going to allow you to save $20,000 working these couple minimum wage jobs and put it on a car that's going to depreciate, you know, the second you take it off the lot, you're you're nuts. You're going to take that $20,000 and we're going to go down to downtown Vancouver there's a condo development. There's a there's a condo being sold there for I think one hundred and seventy thousand dollars. You're going to put a down payment on that condo with this twenty thousand, and you're going to buy this home. So for a second, I actually got excited. I'm like, okay, hang on a second. You're saying that I can buy a condo in downtown Vancouver. You'll co-sign on the loan for me, and I can live in in downtown and and uh, you know have some freedom. And she's like, no, son, this is why this is why I just called you dumb, because you're absolutely not going to do that. You're going to live in that 50 square foot bedroom down the uh, down the hallway still. I'm going to give you my 1980 Dodge Colt, which you're going to drive. And you are definitely not living in downtown Vancouver. You're going to put a renter in there and he's going to pay your mortgage. So that's basically how I started uh, my real estate investing journey. It wasn't me being intelligent by any means, it was having a very strong-willed mom who uh, you know, guided me in the right direction. And, and frankly, if it wasn't for her, I'd probably be driving out a rusted out you know, a Honda Civic Si right. Fast forward in the story, uh, now I'm 27. You know, that I still own that same condo. And, and what happened in Vancouver, and I don't know how familiar you guys are with the real estate market in Vancouver, but 
it's one of the most expensive real estate markets in the world right now, I think top three. And what happened between my age of 19 and 27, real estate prices just soared. You had a lot of investor money coming into the city from China and, and Hong Kong and in Taiwan and all these different parts of the world. And so real estate prices just bubbled up like crazy. So that condo that I bought for $170,000 was now worth 2 million bucks. And so here I am, 27. I was working a corporate job for the Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters Association. I had six or seven of these kind of rental properties as well on the side. And the valuations of these rental properties were great. I mean, on paper, I was a millionaire at 27. But really, all of the rent money that I was making from these uh, condos and houses and stuff was just going towards a mortgage. So paper rich, but like cash poor in, 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 from a real estate perspective. And I really wanted to do real estate investing full time. Like I wanted that to be my main source of income. I enjoyed finding properties, negotiating on properties, you know, managing properties. I really enjoyed the whole process, but I couldn't give up my job where I was making some decent money and, and, and do that full time. So I'm sitting with my accountant, just kind of telling her that I really wanted to move over doing this full time, but I didn't have the money. And she was like, this was 2011. And there was a huge economic crash in, in, in the US, obviously, and across the world, but it had hit property prices in the US quite significantly. And so she was like, look, why don't you go out to cities in the US and, and look for multifamily or, or other type of real estate assets? Because what you can buy a condo for here in downtown Vancouver, you could probably buy a 100 unit building for in somewhere in the US. And she's like, I'll, I'll do you one better. I'm actually a silent investor in, in a few properties or multifamily properties in, um, in the city called Atlanta. And I've been doing fairly well. And once you buy those type of properties, they'll be cash flowing so much, you could definitely leave your job. You could make that your full-time gig. And so that really interested me. And I realized that like in that area at that time, all the other hotels, they were pretty much sitting empty. But an interesting thing was next door, there was a Studio Six. And for those of you who are not familiar, Studio Six is the offshoot of Motel Six. And um, it, it basically does extended stay, like daily, weekly, monthly type of accommodation. And the parking lot of the Studio Six was overflown. Like there were just cars in there. And this was in the midst of the recession. So I was like, what, why are they so busy here? I didn't really know about the business model. So I decided to stay the night there. And, and it, I, I quickly found out that their business model was basically running a multifamily apartment complex without having any of the downside risk of evictions because they're under hotel regulations. So if someone doesn't pay, they just don't stay. And so they were charging $400 a week. People were paying it because you got to think about, you know, especially during a time of recession, people with poor credit, people who have just been kicked out of their apartment complex, you know, people in transition, construction workers, et cetera, these type of individuals, they, it's not very easy for them to, to apply for an apartment and, and get approvals. And so this was kind of a, a middle ground for them. And so if we can acquire this property for, for the million dollars that it's being sold for and, and not have a ton of debt on it, and, and we can operate it somewhat efficiently, we can actually be cash flowing from day one, which is almost something that would be impossible back in Vancouver at the time. And so... I didn't have the million dollars to buy it at the time in terms of cash because the bank was looking for cash. So I ended up getting, my mom in, in, ended up investing in the deal, I think up to about $250,000. She took a line of credit and, you know, I, I played the the sun card. So she was, you know, she said, she sent me 250 
And I had three uncles back in London uh, who were running small bed and breakfast. And they'd never run an operation of this size, but you know they would be interested in investing as long as they didn't have to come out and do anything operationally. They put in a, a good chunk of change. And then I had some a little bit of capital back in Vancouver, so I threw in. So I, I was able to put together the million dollars for this first property. And so within the first week of me going to this property, I ended up buying it out cash for a million dollars. So the hotel basically started with the dream team, which was myself. I was able to talk my 77-year-old uncle from London to come in and, and help me for a couple months, get it up and running. I had uh, two, uh, two housekeepers and a maintenance guy. So that was, that was our dream team, the five of us. We couldn't think of a name for the hotel, so we called it Atlanta Hotel. That, that's a phenomenal story. And, and Taylor, three things come to mind. One, just a great entrepreneurial story. Two, how fortunate he was to have his mom at, at the right time, at the right place, with the right thinking. And third, don't ever accuse me of being a tough dad because you, you just, you've heard of, of, of someone being far tougher than I ever was. And, and thank goodness, thank goodness that Allie's mom took the stance that, he, that, that, that uh, she did. So, Ali, I'm, I'm curious, and this will build on what you shared with us. Instead of uh, investing in, in Class A properties or Class A hotels, you've taken a, a very different strategy in terms of real estate investment, particularly in terms of you know, hotels. So if you were to describe that strategy, that investment strategy, what has it been and how has it played out now since you've grown the company? Yeah. So I look for hotels in markets that really no one wants to be in, for hotels that really no one wants to acquire. Really, I, I, I kind of go completely against the grain in everything that you've been taught in real estate investing. You know, So I'm looking for tougher properties in tougher markets, typically larger assets, because we really play by the scale game. So you know, our focus really is on occupancy uh, rates, having high occupancy rates versus high average daily rates from a sales perspective. And so we need larger properties in tougher markets. Um, and if we can buy it at the right price point, we've made equity on day one because we already know that the property that we're acquiring is not being utilized to its best use. And so if we can go in there and implement our strategy of long-term accommodation at a very low rate, our occupancy rate will be high very quickly and we will be able to um, cash flow the business fairly fast. So, Ali, over the course of your uh, your tenure now in this this real estate business, how has your role shifted from uh, the very beginning, being one of the the five members of the Dreams team, to where you are now? Yeah. So, you know, as the business grew and scaled, uh, of course, you just create more systems, and 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 you got to start figuring out how to work on the business versus in the business, as they say. And so um, that has basically become my role now, really focused on working on the business. And so primarily my day-to-day -day kind of activity would be focused around raising capital for future projects and finding new projects. And, and on the raising capital side, that's me building relationships with either financial institutions or investors. And then on the finding property side, I, I, I still do what I did when I first started the business, which was just utilize technology, which I think all of us have access to nowadays, and, and look across the country to find, find deals that kind of fit our formula of the you know, highest number of rooms at the lowest price point. 
Allie, we talked to a lot of very successful business owners and always interesting to hear them talk about mistakes. And they're usually best mistakes and worst mistakes. So how about an example of both of those for our listeners? What's maybe one of the best mistakes you've made in growing your company? And then likewise, maybe one of the worst mistakes. I think one of the best mistakes I made was living in the hotel, in my first hotel. Um, Because for many reasons, that was not a good thing. Because obviously, you have a customer base that knows where you live and you're getting you know, inundated with work 24 hours and and all that sort of stuff. And so from a certain perspective, it was a a mistake to be living on site at at the business that you're running because there's safety concerns and all the other kind of stuff. But it actually turned out to be the best mistake I've ever made from a business perspective because I learned every facet of the business. Um, When you're living on site and you're living the business for 24 months, there's just no better MBA in that specific business that you could ask for. So that was fantastic. Over and above that, though, what it did give me a chance to do was learn about the customer base. I used to work the front desk of these hotels for 10 to 12 hours a day. And so the conversations you get to have with everyone who's staying at these type of properties, you, you get to really understand why they're staying there. What's the, what's the motive? You know, what's important to them? And then you can start you know, utilizing that information to make your business better. And so, you know, it was uh, my form of kind of artificial intelligence, right? Like you get all that data from them and then you can make better decisions as your businesses grow based on that information that you learned on the ground. So that was, I would say, my my best mistake. My, My worst mistake, and it's hard to say because I think all mistakes... I think you can convert into a positive and and they become something valuable for you. But I would say my worst mistake would probably be not working on my business fast enough. I I think I got so engaged in the business early on, uh, once again, living on site, et cetera, that I wasted a lot of time that I could have after probably my second hotel really kind of delegated a lot of my managerial duties um, on the ground out and focused on raising more capital faster um, and, and really focused on, on building a management team faster. So I think we've had some significant growth in the last 10 years, but I think that could have happened quicker if we had built the human resource infrastructure faster. And so as I've grown the business, I've just realized how important just one good key hire can be to a business. And if I had done that earlier on, uh, I think that could have had an exponential effect at this point in the company. Allie, the pandemic has certainly shifted business strategy and and affected businesses in different ways over the past, I guess, over a year now. I'm I'm curious in in what ways it's impacted your business and if things have gone back to normal, if there's still a, a path where you are recovering. So with our business and our business model, because we deal with a customer base that is in that kind of transitionary market, so like people once again who have been evicted, who are you know on a, you know in, in a tough financial position, etc. Our occupancy rates actually increased during COVID, and we typically have high occupancy rates. Let's say like between like 90 percent. That went to like a hundred percent during COVID, and that's maintained uh, even as we've gone along this past year. It's, it's continued to kind of stay fairly strong. Um, so I'd say that's been, that, that's been the one thing that we saw during the, COVID, the whole COVID situation is just um, maintaining that high occupancy rate. And it's really taught us a lot in terms of the need for this type of accommodation. 
I think it's going to be a lot more uh, prevalent in in the years moving forward. And I'm seeing that there's a major shift in the hospitality industry. Uh, like two years ago, our type of business was not considered maybe the most attractive. And now everyone wants to get into it uh, from a hospitality standpoint because they see that this is the one type of business that can be almost recession-proof you know, during you know, even the toughest of times comparatively to like the high luxury segment where you know, they were sitting at 10 or 15% occupancy because, of course, of the travel bans and all that kind of stuff. So, so that's kind of what we've learned a little bit you know, during the COVID. That's interesting. You know, Taylor, interesting how COVID impacted so many businesses in so many different ways. Ali, you've been a member of uh, a couple different peer groups, Vistage being one of them. Talk a little bit for our listeners. What have you, what have you seen as the, what are the advantages of being part of a peer group, a mastermind group? How have you benefited from that? Yeah, I, I'd say it's it's been one of the most impactful things that I've done while running a company and growing a company. I, I guess you can't really quantify the value of having 10 other CEOs act as your our board of directors for your company, you know, and 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 really you you can kind of spill your guts per se on you know what the issues are of your business on a consistent basis and get feedback on things that you could be doing better professionally, but as well as personally. And so I think, you know, before I joined Vistage and a lot of the other peer groups that I've joined, there was a sense of loneliness in terms of running the business because you you can't always bring your problems home and you can't bring it to your employees. And so Vistage gave me the opportunity to kind of have a sounding board to non-judgmental people who have probably been in the same situation I have. And so one of the things that came out of my first couple Vistage meetings, which was like almost a light bulb moment for me, was that... I was thinking I was having all these problems in my business because I wasn't doing a great job and and because I could be doing better. And what I realized really quickly is these guys have the exact same problems. This is actually something that affects everyone when HR issues and all this other kind of stuff. And so in in a sense, it was also a confidence booster. Um, So relationships, idea sharing, uh, confidence, there's so many things that, that it's impacted me in a positive way. Um, it, it's just been a fantastic experience being a part of it. Ella, we mentioned during your bio that you've written a book. Uh, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about that and maybe what motivated you to write it. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I know I, I gave you kind of a little bit of a, an intro earlier on in, in terms of some of the stories, but yet over time, I've spoken to a lot of people just about how the business started and all that kind of stuff. And I, I wanted to give real estate investors who have not fully kind of jumped in yet some kind of thoughts and structure on, on how they could jump into the, the, the real estate market. Because I think real estate can be something that's super intimidating for a lot of people because you're dealing with things that are so pricey, right? Like, I mean, you're talking about assets that are 200,000, 300,000, half a million, a million, et cetera, on and on. And so a lot of real estate investors get a little bit, um, or new investors get a little bit um, nervous about jumping in. And so I think my journey kind of gives some insight on how they can kind of do the same thing and be creative and jump into the market as well. And so I want to kind of share my journey to kind of give them that opportunity to kind of learn about how they can, you know, tap into the opportunities that are out there from a real estate investing standpoint. Friends, you're listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to you. 
Our guest today is Ali Jamali, is the Chief Executive Officer of Stable Gold Hospitality. Ali, we're now at my favorite part of the podcast. We call it the rapid fire questions. Taylor's going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions. He's going to try to stump you. He's he's yet to have been able to do that. My money is on you. Taylor, take it away. So we'll start with a, an easy one, Ali. So uh, my dad's informed me, not only are you in Vistage, but you're very active in other peer groups, training uh, organizations, very growth-minded. What is a, a book or a podcast or a class that you would recommend to our, our listeners? One of the first books that come to mind that I think is foundational um, is Think and Grow Rich. And, and the reason I say that is because I think it puts you in the right mindset. Uh, it puts you in that growth mindset that kind of serves as a foundation for all the other things. Because whether you want to get into real estate or stocks or whatever else, I think the mindset has to be there. You have to have that growth mindset um, or you're not going to utilize all the tools that you're getting from those books to continue to expand your enterprise or yourself. So Think and Grow Rich would be the one that I would recommend. Excellent. Good choice. I'm curious, since you are from uh, Vancouver, Canada, what is one thing about Canada that most Americans don't know? So a lot of times when I'm having conversations with Americans and I tell them I'm from Vancouver, they're like, oh, you must be really used to the, to the cold. And I think that they might not realize on the West Coast, it's actually not that cold. It's like it's similar <laughs> to like Seattle weather. So it's, like, right. it's not cold. It's kind of dreary. So um, they, I think they think we're like in igloos or something in like Vancouver, but like it's actually it's actually not too far off of Atlanta weather. Um, we don't have the warm summers we have out here, but yeah, I'd say the West Coast of Canada is super beautiful and actually very mild climate. Yeah, I've never been uh, actually to the Pacific Northwest. It's always been on my, my bucket list, but, but certainly Vancouver's up there. I'm curious, uh, as a CEO and, and somebody who spends a lot of time on their business, what's, what's one thing that you do to step away and, and recharge your batteries? Meditation is big. Um, so I, I meditate pretty much every morning uh, for at least 30 minutes. That is has been a game changer for me. I started that, I think, about three to four years ago. And it's just been, it's helped me with mental clarity, with focus, with separating emotion from decision making. So it's just been fantastic in so many ways. Um, and then lastly, reading books. I, I, I try to read at least a book a week. It usually turns out to be maybe two books a month or something, but my goal is always a, a book a week. So I think those two things have been very impactful for me. You mentioned that really got into real estate because of your mom. If you weren't going to get into real estate, what career uh, did you did you have an interest in? As you guys know, I was doing real estate on the side. I was working in sales and I really enjoyed <laughs> that. I really enjoyed business development and sales. Um, I, I really, I find that a lot of the CEOs or owners of companies or entrepreneurs that I meet at some stage early in their career were engaged in sales. I think that that, you know, because sales has that entrepreneurial component to it of kind of having that, you know, can do kind of spirit and, um, you know, really being in control of your results. And, and so, yeah, I, I think just expanding in the business development world would have been, would have kept me very satisfied. All right, we'll get you out of here on this one. This is a, a staple here on the podcast. Which actor would play Ali in the movie about your life? Oh, man. I guess I got to say Tom Cruise. I got I to gotta, I gotta find the best looking guy I can. <laughs> Tom Cruise, George Clooney, you know, whoever. 
whatever you want to uh, throw out there. But um, that that's I, I that definitely see the George uh, Clooney. Definitely yeah. see that. There we go. There, <laughs> there we go. I'll take I'll take that and run. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Well, uh, Ali, thank you very much for being with us. I'm pretty sure that some of our listeners may want to reach out to you and connect with you. What's the easiest way for someone to contact you? Yeah, so the easiest way would be my email. And my email address is ali.jamal at stablegoldhospitalityga.com. Perfect, perfect. Well, Taylor, I've got a full page of notes here from our time with Ali, starting with the idea that you know every great business has a great story. And we heard that story from Ali this evening, and that really got my attention. Also, you know, the fact that he found a niche, and you know, we talk about that often, the importance of you know finding a narrow niche, one that maybe not everyone wants to play in, but has big potential. And Ali certainly found that the importance of knowing your customers. And Ali took that to the extent of actually living in the same property as his clients, but as a result, really got to know his clients in a way that many businesses don't, and also got to understand the business itself by, you know, by working uh, in the business. And Ali also talked about, you know, what the benefits are of being part of a, a, a mastermind group, a peer group, a vistage group, and how he's benefited from that. Uh, Taylor, how about for you? What, is, what are you taking away from our time this evening? Yeah, I think you covered it. I think really persistence. I think Ali's shown he's got a, a very uh, through his through his mother and family had a, a really great dream and and followed it by jump on a plane coming to Atlanta and uh, it sounds like hasn't turned back. So uh, another great great story from one of our entrepreneurial guests. And I'm not sure this story has played out yet. I think there's more to come. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having Ali back again and. Seeing, seeing how the story continues to play out. So, Ali, thank you again for being on the Small Business Matters podcast. We really enjoyed having you with us. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate your time and um, look forward to connecting with you again soon. Great. So, Taylor, a couple of quick announcements. Any of our listeners, if you'd like to subscribe to the Small Business Matters newsletter, you can do so by visiting our website at smallbusinessmattersonline.com. I want to encourage our listeners to to rate, uh, review, and subscribe to the Small Business Matters podcast. Also want to remind you, our next boot camp is starting on August uh, 26th. If you have an interest in the Small Business Matters boot camp, please reach out and be happy to answer any questions uh, that you've got. I want to thank you, Taylor. Thank you for being with us. And I also want to thank our listeners for listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It is the only podcast that truly matters to small business. May each of you continue to pursue all that matters.